Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. We have a very special guest with us today. So Bishop, would you uh, make your way up here? We have Bishop E.W. Jackson back with us from Chesapeake, Virginia. And uh, I want you to give him a warm welcome. Uh, we've asked the bishop to come. Uh, I said, Bishop. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. For being with Thank you. Now, you may be seated. I, I said, Bishop, we want you to come and we want you to bring us a gospel message. So we're looking forward to this. Thank All right. you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor Dwayne, Jeannie. Praise God. Thank all of you. It's a pleasure to be here. I was talking to my staff about when I was here last. It turns out it was just a few months ago. So I said to Pastor Dwayne, so I didn't preach my way out of here. Um, looks like I preached my way back. But it's an honor to be with you as always. Uh, by the way, I want to say congratulations. I understand you burned a mortgage here recently. Praise God. Amen. A testament to the goodness of God and the great leadership that you have here. And I'm just honored to be able to come and share a few words with you today. So let me get right to my assignment. By the way, I bring you greetings from the Call Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, and my lovely wife, who hasn't been here yet, but she's coming. She's taking care of a school that she started in our church, the Maximum Potential Christian Academy. And uh, I'm having a hard time pulling her away from that because it's still in its early stages and she wants to be there to nurture it. But she asked me to send her love and said she's looking forward to coming, even in the snow, she's looking forward to coming uh, and visiting with all of you. Now, uh, I want to say to everybody who is um, here and watching, I'm going to be preaching three times today and it will be three different messages. So... Uh, make sure that you either come back or watch online or however you have to do it because each message will be something different. I ask for the pastor's permission to do that. I don't know whether you're accustomed to having the same message preached for twice two services, but the Lord really laid three different things on my heart, and I'm going to share all of those with you today. So I want to begin with what's just one verse of Scripture found in Romans 11:29, which says this, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And I want to challenge you this morning with this question, what will you do with the gift? What will you do with the gift? In our home, uh, in one of our guest bedrooms sits a small desk. It's not particularly expensive. It's not made of any great wood and not even designed by any uh, great uh, workmen. And it, 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 it certainly uh, is not of any great financial value. But it matters a great deal to me. Some of you may have heard part of this story, but I was born into a broken home, placed in foster care when I was just a few months old, shuttled around to a variety of homes until the age of 14 months. At the age of 14 months, I was placed in the home of Willie and Rebecca Molette, who became my foster parents until I was the age of 10. 
my mother was not there, and while I, I knew who she was, I only saw her on rare occasions. My father visited with me, so I certainly knew who my father was, but once again, he was not raising me, but visiting from time to time. And by the time I was about nine years old, I was already a member of a gang. I was already committing petty crimes. Uh, I was running the streets instead of going to school. Uh, at the end of my fifth grade year, my foster mother and my teacher had a conference about keeping me back because I'd been there so seldom that I'd not learned what I needed to learn in fifth grade. The people we were admiring were the guys who had been to the penitentiary, got out and walked the streets as the tough guys who everybody stepped aside for. We weren't looking up to doctors or lawyers or scientists or authors or people who were doing good things in service to humanity. We were looking up to the criminals. We wanted to be like them. And at the age of 10 years old, on a street corner in Chester, Pennsylvania, my father drove up, and I can remember the moment like it was yesterday. I was standing on the street with some of my fellow gang members, some of whom, by the way, ended up in jail, a couple of whom ended up dead, murdered, a couple of whom ended up murdering other people. And my father drove up and pointed his finger at me and summoned me to come. I walked over to his car, he rolled down the bus, I said, hey, Dad. And he said to me right there, he said, son, every time I see you, you tell me you want to live with me because that had been the cry of my heart. Why can't I live with you? Why can't I live with you? He said, you still want to live with me? I said, yeah, Dad. He said, well, get in. We drove to my foster home, only a couple of blocks away. We, he walked in, said to my foster mother, Rebecca Mullet. I called her mom. I didn't even call my real mother mom because I didn't know her as mom. I called her by her first name. But this foster mother, Rebecca Mullet, I called mom. And he called her Miss Beck. Walked and said, Miss Beck? And she said, hey, Bill. He said, I'm taking my son to live with me. And of course, I remember her reaction. At first, just kind of shocked, like she didn't know quite how to take that. And, and then when she realized he was serious, she became hysterical. Well, what do you mean you can't do that? Remember, she had raised me since I was 14 years, 14 months old. I was her baby. What do you mean you can't do that? The, the courts have to give you permission and social services. And, and she started raising all these objections. And he said to her, Miss Beck, if I don't take my son, we're going to lose him. Because he saw the direction I was going in. And in spite of all of her protestations, give me time to pack and give me a week or two to get ready. And he said, no, I'm taking him today. And literally within one hour, my life changed completely. My father took me to his apartment, sat me down, and I'll never forget the words he said. He said, son, you've been saying you want to live with me and you're living with me now. He said, now every day with me can be like a day of heaven on earth or every day I will tear your behind all to pieces. I found out he meant it. But you know what? I stopped being a member of a gang. I stopped running the streets. And I went from almost failing out of fifth grade to being a straight A student in sixth grade. That's how dramatically my life changed. I ended up going to Harvard Law School 
by the grace of God, because I had a daddy who took me out of the, 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 the tra tra trajectory I was on and set me on a different trajectory because he said to me, now son, what your life becomes is up to you. Nobody controls your destiny but you. Said, you have to make good decisions and don't come back to me with any excuses. He didn't tell me anybody owed me anything. He didn't tell me that I couldn't make it because I'm a black man in America and the racists wouldn't let me or the government wouldn't let me or the system wouldn't let me. My father had a sixth grade education and worked as a third class welder in, dry, in, in Sunship Building and Dry Dock Company and told me, son, you can be anything you want to be in this world. You just have to make up your mind to do something with your life. And so that desk represents more than wood and metal because that desk was given to me by my daddy at the age of 12 years old when he was teaching me to be diligent and to, to study and to work and to do something with my life. So if you come into my house and you try to take that desk, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> It may not mean anything to anybody else, but it means a lot to me, not because of the desk itself, but because of who gave it to me. And my brothers and sisters, God taught me that in a sense, just like that desk, the United States of America is a gift to God, to the people of this country, and we've got to treasure that gift and value that gift, not just because of the nation it is, but because of who gave it to us. America is the gift of Almighty God to all of us, and it's up to us to treasure that gift. No nation has been responsible for getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out across the world like the United States of America. No nation has been responsible for the charity and the largesse of the American people spread around the world like this country. And I'm not simply talking about our foreign policy grants. I'm not simply talking about foreign aid. I'm talking about the generosity of the American people rooted and grounded in Judeo-Christian and biblical values who believe in the power of giving. We have given more to the world than any nation that's ever existed as individuals and as Christians. This nation is a gift from Almighty God, is a providential nation. During the Constitutional Convention, when they were having impasses over everything, slavery was one of the issues that they were struggling with and trying to figure out a way to end it. But there were other issues as well. The nature of our government, the bicameral legislature that we now have, the power of the, of the House and the Senate and the executive branch and, and how, how Congress would ultimately the, be divided in terms of, of the populations. There were all kinds of issues and they were getting nowhere. And Ben Franklin stood up and said, the longer I live, the more convincing proof I see of the fact that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall from the sky without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? He said, we read in the sacred scriptures, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. 
He said, I believe that. He said, and I believe that without his concurring aid, we will be no more successful in building this house than they were in building the Tower of Babel. And he proposed that they begin to pray as they'd done through every stage of the development and through the Revolutionary War. And the impasse was broken. And on September 17th, of course, they came out with the Constitution of the United States of America, the most successful governing document in the history of mankind. Constitutions change on average every 17 years across the world. Ours has lasted almost a quarter of a millennium and it is still as valid as it was when it was passed. The only problem it has is people not being willing to adhere to it and to follow it, but the Constitution is still good. George Washington, in the very first edict as president of the United States, that is the very first proclamation, was the Thanksgiving proclamation that he issued on October 31st of the year of his inauguration. And he said these words, it is the duty of all nations to honor the providence, acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly implore his favor and protection. That's the nation that God gave us. The nation founded on words that no other nation was ever founded on. Words that others have created. Words that those in Tiananmen Square were quoting. Words that those in, in Taiwan were quoting. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No other nation has ever founded itself on the idea that rights and freedom does not, do not come from people, they do not come from governments, they come from the hand of Almighty God, and what Almighty God has given, no government can take away. My brothers and sisters, whatever our flaws, whatever our problems, we have a gift that is worth defending and preserving. I know we have not been perfect. I know that. I think I said this the last time I was here. I, was a, I am the, not only a, a former foster child, but I am the great-grandson of slaves who later became sharecroppers in Orange County, Virginia. I know we have not been a perfect nation. What nation has? Say, so, well, well, well why, why, why have we had so many problems? Are you ready? I'm going to give you a very profound answer. There are people here. <laughs> and people are not perfect. Only one perfect human being has ever walked the face of the earth, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the only one. But the Bible says every good and every perfect gift, it's not, not only perfect, but good gifts, comes from the Father of lights in whom is no variation or shadow of turning. And is there anybody who denies that this is a good gift that we have? That this is something that is worthy of our protection and our preservation? My brothers and sisters, we are all in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian. 
But we forget something. That there is a positive and a negative side to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the positive side is the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He got you. He got me. That's the positive side to it. And he wants everybody who's lost. That's one of the reasons why don't ever apologize for taking a stand on the word of God because they will accuse us of being haters and bigots because we stand on God's word. But that's not hatred, my brothers and sisters. That's love. The Bible says if the sinner sins and you do not warn him, then his blood is on your hands because the Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to life. That means the forces of darkness that are trying to take this country in a horrible direction. The people involved in that, God still loves them. He still wants them. He doesn't hate them. He doesn't want to destroy them. And neither do we. We love them. These misguided people who think that there's some virtue in teaching preschoolers and kindergartners that their gender is not fixed and that they can be whatever they want to be because they might be a girl in a boy's body or a boy in a girl's body. That is abominable. That, that is disgusting. That is perverse. In fact, I'm convinced that is a gateway to pedophilia, to be instilling young children with these lies. But the people who are doing it are misguided. And while I hate the lies and I hate what they're doing and I will fight it with every fiber of my being, I still love them and pray for them and want them to come to their senses. The people who think that they're doing some service to women by killing 1.2 million babies every year in the sin of abortion. By the way, we don't hear this much, but it needs to be remembered. Black people are 12% of the population of America. Almost 39% of the abortions performed in America are performed on black women. Because Margaret Sanger had a racist and elitist vision that there were people not worthy of living and that she couldn't get rid of them through eugenics because the PR was bad, but she created something called Planned Parenthood, which is the antithesis of that. It is actually planned death for unborn children. And somebody needs to expose this for what it is. But we don't hate those people. We love them. In fact, some of them have gotten saved. Some of them have, look, Jane Roe became a Christian and an opponent of abortion. So we don't hate them. We love them. We want them to know Jesus Christ and him crucified, died on the cross for their sins and risen on the third day. But my brothers and sisters, there's a negative side. And the negative side is that Jesus, the Bible says, also came to destroy the works of the devil. And you know, we've got a responsibility to destroy some things because there are some things that need to be destroyed. Not people, but some things that need to be destroyed. These are works of the devil. 
this, this ongoing acceptance and, and patronizing and even glorifying homosexuality is a work of the devil that must be destroyed. This idea that two men can get married and two women can get married, and it's the equivalent of a marriage as God ordained it between one man and one woman. That's a work of the devil and it must be destroyed. Abortion is a work of the devil and it must be destroyed. My brothers and sisters, this, this incessant drumbeat to turn more and more of our lives over into the hands of government to dictate to us. Government has to close our churches because COVID dictates that the church must be closed. Closed. Government has to tell you, if you go to church, even if there's only 10 of you in a room that seats 5,000, you can't sing because that might spread the disease. Government cannot tell the church what to do. Government cannot dictate to the church how to live. We are the children of Almighty God. It is unconstitutional. It is a work that must be destroyed. My brothers and sisters, we've got something worth preserving. We've got something that God has given us and we can't allow the devil to take it away from us. Now, now Jesus gave us an important answer to how we make sure we don't lose what God has given us. It's in Matthew 16, 6, where it says, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Paul said something similar in Colossians 2, verses 8 and 9, where he said, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, brothers and sisters, let me tell you that there are two major philosophical strains that run through pretty much every problem that we have in this nation. And they were given to us by two demonically possessed individuals. The first is Karl Marx. Marxism is running rampant through our culture, whether you know it or not. It is. And it may not call itself that, but that's what it is. I may have shared this with you last time, but do you know that the sex education movement began with communism? A man by the name of George Lukacs, who was the cultural commissar in Hungary, decided that one strategy for separating children from their parents and getting them away from all of this religious nonsense from their perspective that had been instilled in their children, one way to do that was to use sex education to dramatically drive a wedge between parents and their children in terms of their view of life and sexuality and family and morality. George Lukacs, communist commissar, began the sex education movement back in 1913. And all of this effort that we see around the country now to instill in our children ideas that their parents don't agree with, particularly Christian parents, and by the way, 
with the mindset that not only can you teach them these things, but you can keep them from the parents. In other words, create a little secretive relationship between the school system and the child that the parent has no right to know anything about. We just had a major election upset in Virginia, and we, we are grateful to God for that. And we really believe that the nail was driven in the coffin when one candidate said publicly, repeatedly, I am not going to let parents dictate to teachers what they should teach their children or have a say in that. And here again, my brothers and sisters, this idea that when you send your child to school, you completely abdicate your parental rights and it's up to the school what they can teach and say to your child and keep it from you is a lie out of the pit of hell. God gave parents the right to educate our children. We are the first educators of our children, not the school system. All of that stuff grows out of Marxism. And you could look at the, 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 the decline of the family that's happened since the 1960s and the so-called sexual revolution. By the way, in every demographic, it's most acute in the black community, but it's true across the board. Americans of European ancestry in 1960, I believe it was, had only 3% of their children born out of wedlock. It's now over a third. And of course, in that same year, the black community had only about 15% of their children born out of wedlock. Now it's about 80%. It's happening in every demographic across the nation as the family has been undermined. We've got to destroy these ideas that undermine the institutions that God gave us and that grow out of this sort of Marxist mindset. And I know that some may not like what I'm about to say, maybe not here, but some people may not like what I'm about to say. But my brothers and sisters, Black Lives Matter is nothing but a Marxist movement that is intended to undermine the values that made this nation great. It's not helping black folks in the least. All it's doing is pushing an agenda that is ultimately poisonous to our culture. Now that's the truth. So we gotta destroy bad ideas. That's why I tell people, I don't compromise. Well, well, wait a minute, but the concept is good. No, the concept itself is a lie because the concept is based on the idea that police officers are out hunting down black men or out killing black men or out to hurt black men or out to hurt black people, and that in itself is a lie. First of all, I extrapolate from my own sample. I say, well, if that's what they're doing, somehow they miss me, they miss my son, they miss my children, they miss the members of my church, somehow they're not getting us. But my brothers and sisters, the reality is that since the whole anti-cop movement started after the death of George Floyd in its intensity, more black people have died than it, 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 in numbers that, that are, are worse than anything that's happened that, since we've been keeping records. We went from 
about 7,300 black people being murdered in 2019. And in 2020, the number jumped by 2,500. 2,500. By the way, 259 black children murdered in their beds, in their living rooms, in their backyards, riding their bikes. And by the way, they weren't murdered by cops and they weren't murdered by white supremacists. They were murdered by thugs in their own communities who don't care who they kill when they decide to have a shootout. Most recently, an 11-month-old baby almost murdered in critical condition in New York because one guy decided he was going to shoot somebody else and didn't care who got killed in the process. An 11-month-old child is in critical condition right now. And we, what does Black Lives Matter have to say about this? Nothing. Nothing. Well, tell me I should honor something that really clearly doesn't care about whether black people die. It only cares about whether they can use an incident to further their political agenda. And when they can't, they don't care who dies or how many die. They ought to change the name to Black Lives Murdered because they're getting black people killed is what they're doing. And what we need to have is more good police officers out there helping to prevent the crimes that are taking the lives of innocent children and black folks and others all over this nation. We've got to destroy some bad ideas, and these bad ideas emanate from a single personality, Karl Marx. And here's another single personality that has undermined the very fabric of our society, Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin and the theory of evolution. Now look, I don't care what you think about the theory of evolution, I can tell you this, it has really done, it has wreaked havoc on our culture. Because you see, the theory of evolution, first of all, undermines the Declaration of Independence because our founding fathers said all men are created. Theory of evolution says that's a lie. Now, you know, I don't know how Americans can hold these two uh, competing ideas. Oh, yeah, I believe in that, but I also believe in this, which contradicts that. I mean, you can, both can't be true. If the theory of evolution is true, then the Declaration of Independence is a lie. Now, which one do you believe? See, I believe that God created us. I tell people all the time, you want to be the descendant of a monkey, go right ahead. But as for me... I'm made in the image and likeness of Almighty God. I don't have any monkey or gorilla relatives. Thank you very much. But see, that undermines the very meaning of life because my brothers and sisters, no wonder absolute morality is under such assault because look, if you and I are simply accidents out of the cosmic ooze, if we just got, if we won the evolutionary lottery, so to speak, and through uh, a random mutation and natural selection, somehow you and I just, we just emerge at the top of the food chain, then there is no right or wrong. There is no ultimate truth. We're just accidents of the cosmos. And that's really what is being sold in many ways which is really why we see our, 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 our fundamental morality so, so undermined. But I tell people, if that's true, 
then only might makes right. If that's true, who says Hitler was wrong? Who says so? Who says Pol Pot was wrong to kill two million Cambodians? Who says that Ho Chi Minh and the Communist Party were wrong to kill two million Vietnamese? Who says? That's just your opinion. But no, there is an absolute morality. And it's what God gave us. And it's what this nation is built upon. Our founding fathers didn't say, we hold these opinions. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. My brothers and sisters, we've got to tear down these bad ideas just as much as we have to promote the truth of the gospel and the good news, we've got to destroy some of these lies that are such bad news that are undermining who we are as a nation. We've got to, we've got to preserve and protect this gift, this great gift that God has given us. Now, I have people say to me, Bishop Jackson, how can you believe that America is going to be fine? How can you believe that America is not under God's judgment? Because after all, look at all the sins you just outlined that our culture has bought into. So let me give you the answer because the same answer that I have is the answer that you ought to have. How can I say that? Because I believe Matthew 7, 7, which says, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. I am praying for my country. I am interceding for my country. I am asking God to have mercy on the United States of America. I am asking God to give us an awakening, and I believe that awakening has already begun. I believe what happened in Virginia is part of that awakening. We've got three people in office now who are sold out Christians. They love God. They made clear during the inauguration that they believe in God first and put God first. And we've got to have godly leadership because the word of God says when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. It says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And when we start getting the kingdom principles being preeminent in our country again, when we start getting God being at the center of our country again, then we're going to see an awakening that will just sweep out all of this garbage that is trying to take over the United States of America. And my brothers and sisters, I am here to tell you, not on my watch, not while I'm breathing, I'm not gonna let anybody take away from us what God has given to us, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, one last thing then. A bad idea that's got to be destroyed. And the devil's been using it against us. Trying to convince us that somehow the color of our skin is something important. And it's not. Well, I tell you what, I, there's some people just jump out of their skin to hear me say that. <laughs> but it's not. My brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches us that it's not. I know it's been, look, people, well, you know, now Bishop Jackson, you're trying to cover over things. You're trying to make light of things. I, I think when I was here last time, and I would just encourage you to do your own research on it. Slavery was a universal institution that occurred everywhere in the world. 
there's not a person sitting in this room, if you go far enough back in your ancestry, where you won't find ancestors who were slaves or serfs or something like that. It is the problem is not race. The problem is not skin. The problem is sin. And it's been happening since Adam and Eve fell. And so this idea that somehow America is uniquely bad and uniquely evil and uniquely racist is a lie. Let me tell you something. When the whole world was still defending slavery, Americans were dying to end it. When the whole world was wondering what's the big deal, America was saying, you can't enslave another human being. It is morally wrong in the sight of God. And slavery is still occurring in many parts of the world. And it's not happening here, praise God. And I got news for you. I believe God had a plan for America to transcend all of that. And so although my great-grandparents were slaves, I'm not. I'm a citizen of the greatest nation, the freest nation, the most prosperous nation in the history of mankind. That was God's plan for me. And God gave me this nation and gave you this nation. And it's up to us to stand up for it to stand up for America like we stand up for Jesus because Jesus wants America to belong to him. And that's what I want to. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I'm convinced of this, that if we will stand up, if we will put on the whole armor of God and stand against the wiles of the devil, we will, we will find out that we are more than conquerors because he loved us. We will find out that our destiny is hidden in him and all we've got to do is take our place. You know, Jehoshaphat looked up at the children of Mount Seir and Mount Ammon and the Moabites and saw them coming as a great army and looked up to God and said, Lord, we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. And God had a prophet speak to the nation and say, here's what you need to do. Set yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. My brothers and sisters, you don't need the majority. You don't need to outnumber them. You need to stand. You need to get up and you need to take a stand. You need to stand up and step up and speak up. And I got news for you. The Lord will send help from unexpected directions. He had no idea what was going to happen. But let me also tell you this. They put praises out in front. So you know what? We ought to praise God no matter what it looks like. Praise God, no matter how you feel. Praise God, no matter what the world says. Because when we begin to praise God, as they say, when the praises go up, the blessings come down. We got to praise God in the midst of the trial. Praise God in the midst of the battle. Praise God when everything seems to be going against us. And I've got news for you. We will have the victory because the Bible says that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? I found out that I've got a Savior, 
and there's nobody, there's no force, all the demons in hell can't overcome me as long as I'm standing with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I just talk about him for just a moment longer? There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Do I have a witness here? He speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet that the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I'm his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. Come on, do you know him? Do you know him? Can you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Has he blessed you? Has he kept you? Has he saved you? Has he raised you? Then say yeah. yeah. Say yeah. yeah. Say yeah. I feel like preaching in here. What will you do with the gift? What will you do with the gift? God has blessed you tremendously. You know, Americans are 4.25% of the population of the world. 4% in effect of the population of the world. And yet the whole world looks to us. Everybody wants to come here. What will we do with it? Maybe somebody here or somebody watching who's never come to grips with the fact that Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. I told the story of my conversion, I think the last time I was here, and I may get to that in my next message. But he is the answer, brothers and sisters. If you know him and you commit yourself to him, the rest will fall into place. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Those here, those who are watching online. Because everything I do is rooted and grounded in my faith in Him and His plan for us. I've got a granddaughter coming in March. And we're grateful, grateful to God, our first. What kind of country am I going to leave for her? When was she told what she can't do because of the color of her skin? Or when was she told who are all of our enemies because of the color of her skin? Or when was she told she's oppressed because of her gender? Or a country in which we're all united around a common faith in God and a common love for one another and humanity. Jesus Christ is the only answer. So as I pray, would you repeat after me? And those of you online, you'll be told, it'll be reiterated later, but if you've, 
accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, text res yes to 94,000. Res yes to 94,000. If you're new to this church, you're new to watching or coming, text res life to 94,000. If you want to give, same thing. Text res give to 94,000. R-E-S-G-I-V-E, give to 94,000. Let us pray. Pray this with me and follow me. Repeat after me, but pray this out of your own heart. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again on the third day with all authority in his hands to be my savior, to be my Lord, to be my king. Help me to live for you all the days of my life, to fulfill your plan, your presence, your destiny for my life. I love you, Lord, and I'm grateful for what you've done for me. Now help me to show my gratitude by standing up, stepping up, speaking up as a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name, praise God. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.